Hey guys, it's Rachel Silver Cohen, and I am so excited for today's episode. We have another silver in the house. Dr. Boca has agreed to have my cousin, Marley Silver, on the air. She's going to help us bridge the gap between the generations. She's a 28-year-old superstar. She brings over six years of professional expertise as a real estate agent. She excels in marketing, branding, and property promotion while proudly representing the Jersey Shore, but on unpolished therapy today. She's going to represent the generations that we know nothing about. So stick around, listen up. I think you'll really enjoy. What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It's Rachel Silver Cohen, so you know what that means. I'm here with the one and only DB, Dr. Boca, where we are ditching the couch, grabbing the mics, and breaking down all the unpolished wreckage on the corner of Audacity and Advice. Good morning, Dr. Boca. Good morning, Rach. I am so excited for today. You should be. We have another silver in the house. Get I ready. Know. We're going to double team you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know. It's too much. It is too hot to handle. Marley Silver. Welcome, 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 welcome. My little cousin cousin is joining us on Unpolished Therapy. This is a happy day for me. Hi, Marley. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my God. The wheels are turning. Like I just need to ask you so many questions that have nothing probably to do with why you're on the podcast to begin with, but I'm just fascinated to meet yet another silver who would enlighten me into the world of Rachel. But I will follow Rachel's lead as I'm sure she has an agenda here. Yes, grasshopper. I trained you well, Dr. Boca, because I don't follow the rules. So if I don't, and now we have another silver in the mix, you know, it might get a little definitely more on the audacious side than the advice side today. But for, for the listeners, let's just back up for a minute so we can explain the degrees of separation here. So Marley, yes, Marley Silver is my cousin. Her dear old dad is my first cousin. So Marley is technically, I guess that would make it my second cousin, but it's sort of like this intergenerational dynamic, I suppose, because her dad, my cousin, we had an age gap growing up, but you know, like the older you get, that gap shrinks, right? But growing up, I guess, my twin brother and I always thought that the cousins on the silver side were a little bit older. Marley's grandpa, just to put it in perspective for the listeners, Marley's grandpa and my dad, who I know our listeners know and and you know, they are brothers. So that's the family tree there. And the other cool thing, which I happen to love about Unpolished Therapy, I didn't even think this through, but I'm a little obsessed with the fact that Marley, M-A-R-L-I, okay? Okay. Is named, and Marley, I'm assuming you know this, but like, I kind of feel like you as the story goes, I had dinner with your mom and dad literally a zillion years ago when you were 
wheeled in the little rocking car seat. And we were talking about like, why are you named Marley? Is there anyone on on the Silver family side or on the Weinstein family side? And like, why are you named Marley? And I'm pretty sure it's because of the love of music of your mom and dad and Marley, Bob Marley. No, because like the Bob Marley. No, movie I thought now. that. But I think that's what they told me. Are we, am I wrong about that? They're so lying to be cool. My (laughs) mom told me that she figured out the name Marley through a book author. Her name's Marley Matlin. And that's where, yeah, that's where that came from. But when I was younger, like high school, I asked my parents, did you name me Marley because of Bob Marley? And they said no. And I'm slightly I we need to go back to your dad. Yeah, but I'm telling you, if your dad is listening, which he better be, because we want our ratings to go up, all the silvers better be listening to this episode. He doesn't have Spotify or anything. <laughs> I got to set him up. Well, you'll do just that. For my own purposes, all these years, which I think you need to tell the audience even how old you are, I always thought you were named somehow, some way, a connect to Bob Marley because of your dad's love of music. And you can kind of connect the dots on that one. And I know Dr. Boke is like freaking right now. I'm just sitting here and we haven't even gotten to the first question. And there's already <laughs> a discrepancy in the family tree of how the name came about. So I'm only sitting back here reflecting of what chaos must ensue at these family <laughs> gatherings. So just my observation, just my observation. But my daughter's name was almost Marley. So I happen to love, love that, that name. Yes, I happen to love that name. And the only reason she wasn't was because when I was pregnant with her, I was at my nephew's peewee something game. I don't remember which peewee something. And there was a Marley running around and the mom was screaming at her the entire time. And it was such a turnoff that I couldn't do it to my poor daughter. No. So, but I do. Well, love I name. never really see people named Marley. And I get so excited when I, like, I'll randomly meet somebody in the wild named Marley. And I'm like, are we supposed to be best friends? Because I never meet anybody with my name ever. It's a great I name. I love it. It's a I great love name. love it. Well, listen, and when it comes to Marley Silver, we're one and done because there's no one like you. So let's tell the audience a little bit about you. And I'm going to turn it over to you a little bit in terms of, I want to know how old you are. The listeners know what you do from your bio, but I want to hear it in your words. So talk to us a little bit about your age. In today's world, everyone's got like a title relative to, are you a millennial? Are you a baby boomer? So I don't even know what that means. And I, I want you to educate us a little bit. Sure. Okay. So I'm 28. I was born in 95. I'm like right on kind of the cusp of being a millennial and a Gen Z, but I am a millennial. But I would so what does say that even that, mean? Like, like first, so, like, what does that mean? I feel like true millennials are at like are more so like five plus years older than me. I, I'll put it that way. And then Gen Z, my sister is technically a Gen Z. She was born in 96, 97. She was born in 97. So I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of teetering on the both. And I call myself a millennial because I just feel like I kind of mesh somewhere in the middle with the two. I'm kind of with it a little bit with the trends of what all the the youngins are doing these days. But I'm also still very much so a 28-year-old girl. Like I'm older, the younger spectrum a little bit. So I'm somewhere around there. (laughs) I just love that you really are a silver because... (laughs) I love that you just made up that word because that's something that Rachel would totally do. It's so, not made up. Oh, it's not? It's like a real one? No, so many people say this. Like, it's, oh. this is on TikTok. Oh, well, that <laughs> you already lost me right there. Okay, but first of all, I'm going to defend Dr. Boga on that one because 
I thought it was a made up word also. And even TikTok, like that's a whole nother dynamic and a whole nother stratosphere. And I purposely shied away from that, which probably to the detriment of the podcast for that matter, because apparently I hear like, that's where all the action is. But I agree with Dr. Boca, like the word zillennial is something that in a million years, I wouldn't even know that that's a real word. I wish I made it up. I wish I could take credit for that, but I cannot. It's, it's out there. People say it. I would say it's typically my age group is saying that. So what does so, that mean? Like, what would I like? I mean, I know a little bit, but help our, our listeners understand, like, you know, you said some of the millennial stuff, some of the, the generation the Z stuff, but like what? makes you the zillennial and what characteristics makes that zillennialisms? Okay. So I feel like it's all about like your aesthetic, like how you're speaking. It's the two of those things overall, but then there's little things like your style. I'm definitely a zillennial with my style. Like I can dress younger and I can dress more mature and I like to combine the two sometimes. Language that I use, like I'll definitely say some things that Gen Z says. Not 100% proud of that, but it just kind of comes out naturally sometimes and it sticks. But the millennials start catching up into it. But I would say millennials are very stuck on what they were like when they were in their early 20s, high school, and that's kind of stuck. And they haven't really transformed into the newer age. And I, that's why I like to teeter on the two where I'm a mature adult, but I'm also, I like to be young, hip with the times. So here's the question being in your words, you're an adult, quote unquote, but you want to be hip and you keep up with the times is a zillennial who considers themselves an adult. Like are for the most part, are they living at home? Do they live on their own? Do they have like, are they all booming in their career right now? Are they still in graduate school? If that's part of a path, like what does it look like to be you at 28? I can explain what my life looks like now as a, in quote, zillennial, but everyone's journeys are different. Nothing looks the same for everybody. So I can't even categorize any of this as one particular thing. But me, as a 28-year-old real estate agent, personal stylist, I was living in New York for the last year, actually just moved back home, but like wanting to, like I wasn't, you know, walking back (laughs) with my head down all sad. Like I was craving to come back home, which like nobody talks about really, but all my friends, say like, oh, yeah, like, I wish I could do that too. Like, enjoy it while you can. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm soaking this all in. I want to be home more than anything right now. And I don't really know why. Wow. Well, let me jump in. Let me jump in in terms of, I mean, maybe Dr. Broca can help you break down the why. But I wonder, as the layman in this little trio here, I want to talk your mind frame pre and post COVID. I was just going there. Worse? I was. See, I think you're like through osmosis. You're getting my doctorate through through osmosis here. But yes, I think that a lot of this, and if you could talk about your COVID experience, because I do think a lot of this returning home, because I'm looking at Rachel, uh, to our listeners, I'm looking at Rachel through through the video and I'm thinking, who the hell in our generation would ever want to voluntarily go home and live at home. So please tell us what that experience was like for you, because I do think it plays a role of wanting to be back home. It 100% plays a role because I feel like years got chopped off my life that just like I, I blacked out. I don't remember what happened. I was 24 when COVID happened. So I feel like I'm kind of still stuck in that time frame, like 24, 25 years old. And I swear I do not feel 28 at all. 
maybe my body does at times, but like mentally, I totally feel like I'm still 25. I was home during COVID with my entire family. Like my sister moved back home during the time we were all here. My dad wasn't going into the office, obviously. So the four of us were back home like it was in high school, but we weren't going anywhere. We were up each other's asses. It was the most interesting thing to happen at that point in all of our lives because usually you move away and you don't come back. To be but, um, a fly on the wall at the Silver House. Oh my God, so I would have loved it. It was fun. It was fun. But I will say I was like itching to get the heck out of here. So post-COVID, I did get out. I went to New York. That was what I wanted to do really badly. I've always wanted to move to New York. I had this idea about it, wanted it super bad. And when I got there, to be honest, it's just like I... <laughs> I'm very used to just like being a suburb beach girl. That's where I'm from. That's what I'm used to. That's my roots. I love to get in my car, drive places. I think that was the biggest thing for me was like just having to take a subway to get everywhere. I just couldn't deal with it. I'm also a real estate agent. So I'm taking subways to get all over the place to show condos, co-ops, whatever. And it was just like mayhem. And I, I really didn't like it for that reason. The energy of New York for certain things and then other things I didn't. What I didn't love was that I always felt the need to have to do something at all times. And I'm the type of person that I, that I love to just stay home, cook a meal. I'm a homebody. I like to go out here and there, but I don't like to do it every single day or every single weekend. And in New York, there's like an energy that's pulling you to do stuff like that. I didn't love that. I kind of think I'm ready for a little slower of a life. So you were already living at home during COVID. So you didn't have to make this tra big transition to come home, itching to go out to New York, decide New York isn't all it's cracked up to be, but you were already a real estate agent in New York. So how did you transition? Because you just said you're, you're living back at home, much to my PTSD surfacing here of living at home. But what are you doing with business? Did something change? Do you have a business down there? Yeah. So I've actually been a real estate agent in New Jersey for almost seven years now. So I never stopped doing that here. I was coming back here to do business when I needed to, but I was gotcha. living and also doing real estate in New York. The New York real estate license thing was new. Oh. I didn't always have that. I've only had it for a year. So I started doing it there when I moved. Ultimately, it was just like culture shock for me, just business-wise. Mm -hmm. The way we operate here like in a suburb is very different than how it is sure. in the city. But I think New York real estate just runs very differently than how it runs anywhere in the country. It's great, like the way it is there and everything, but kind of switching your gears a little bit like that was very difficult for me. I also am a solo agent in New Jersey. Mm. I run and operate completely by myself. And I was on a team in New York. So that was a little bit of a learning curve for me to get used to. Just, yeah, just not, I just don't think it was right for me at this point in my life. So I did leave and now I'm just fully focusing on New Jersey right now. And that's great to know what you know and what you like and what you don't like Absolutely. and to be young enough to make that transition and so smart and a life lesson that I wish that some of my friends had had in our generation. A lot of my friends went to graduate school or had careers, got married, and then they stopped working and they didn't have a career to fall back on or they realized, oh, it wasn't the career I really wanted to do, but now I'm too old to make the transition into another career. So the fact that you knew what works for you, what didn't work for you, where you wanted to be, where you didn't want to be is amazing to, if you're only mentally in your head 25, I give you like major props, even though you're 28, <laughs> like major, major props, because there's not a lot of people who, 
you know, it's the trendy, cool thing to do to be in New York. And to say this isn't for me, that's a huge thing. So I commend you for making that decision and, you know, validating what it is that you needed. Yeah, definitely. I felt like something wrong with me. Why don't I like New York? But it just took me, I guess, a year to realize that I needed to leave home to really appreciate the shore area of New Jersey, which like it's not for everybody, but like I'm so used to it. I love it. It works for me. My sister, polar opposite, she moved to New York. She's never coming back. She loves the city. If anything, she would maybe move to another city, but I don't see her ever being a suburb girl. (laughs) I wanted to talk a little bit about, Dr. Boga was talking about the generational gap. And that's something that I feel is is the pulse here because Mm -hmm. on our show, Marley, maybe not everyone, but the majority of our listeners are probably more my age peer group, which is slightly younger than your mom and dad, but certainly older than you, Marley, and also my kids. We have a lot of different age brackets here. And one of the themes that comes up a lot that Dr. Boken and I talk about are how our parenting styles affect us relative to us as adults now, how we were raised. And then at least for me, the paranoia I have of am I embedding some of my habits and the childhood experiences. Experience, yeah. yeah. The foundation that was rooted for me, my takeaways, good, bad, and indifferent, how is that impacting my kids on a go forward. And we do a lot of that here on Unpolished Therapy. So I'm wondering, and I have a little bit of a leg up just because we're in the same family line, but every household is run a little bit differently. And I wonder for you, Marley, how much of the impact your parents had on you raising you now that you're not having, you know, you don't have kids of your own yet, but where do you feel that impact is on the scale of your growth. Is, am I asking that question the right way? Dr. Yeah, Kimber? yeah. I think she's just asking you, like, what have you taken from what your parents have given you? And where do you feel like it helped you? And where do you feel like it might be hindering you or affecting some of the choices that you've made good, bad, or indifferent? I actually talk about this with them quite often. And I'm very open with them about it. But that's one my, change between yeah, the generations. Yeah, like ding, ding, ding. ding like, yeah. are, you, you're, you're, are, are you friends yeah. with your parents? Like, that did not happen really when we were growing up. Me and my parents are best friends. Like I'm super close with them individually and together. I'm like huge with communicating. I can't shut up. I'm always talking about my feelings, whatever I'm thinking, it comes out. That's just how I've always been my entire life. So we talk about these things, but I actually think my parents did an A plus job raising me. And I tell them this, I'm like, look, like you did certain things that I didn't like at the time, but now I'm like, I see why you did it. And I think that that's a good thing to hear as a parent. I remember being like a teenager and just getting so mad when they wouldn't let me do certain things. But now I'm like, no, I shouldn't have done those things. And I don't want to let my future kids do Mm -hmm. those things either. Now I have a more mature mindset and I can see things for what it is versus when I was younger. When you were a teenager though, your generation, when did the transition from I'm the kid and that's the parent to they're my parents and they're also my friend? I mean, I feel like they've always been. I would say my mom and I have always been like besties. It's just our relationship is very close. I've always been able to go to my mom and tell her everything. I do remember when I was a lot younger, like 
freshman year of high school. I did, I did keep a lot from her, but things were changing with me, you know, boys and going and drinking or whatever it was at that time. I would keep that to myself just because I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't know what my parents, how they were going to react to any of that. So I kept things from her, but we were really close and we did throughout time, you know, I would start telling her things here and there. I was just afraid of actually just getting in trouble. I didn't really care if she knew things or not. And were they disciplinarians? Did they... Um... My mom was. Okay. And were they around a lot? Or did your parents work? Or were they busy with careers? Were they, you know, doting house mom? Give us the listeners some kind of understanding of what those dynamics were. They're both real estate agents. My dad's oh. in the commercial side. My mom's residential just like me. That's why I am a real estate agent. I don't work with them though, but they were always around. My mom worked in her office in the house. So she was home all the time. My dad, he did the whole nine to five thing in his office. Then he'd come home. He was always around, especially on the weekends. So yeah, they were pretty much always there. And as far as getting like disciplinary, I think my dad was a little bit more on the soft side and my mom was pretty rough. But, and I mean, your dad's the best. I love him, but I could see that play where your mom was definitely more of the disciplinarian. <laughs> I can hear your dad. Like I know his laugh so well. He's probably like cackling right now. He's such a girl dad. And I know that bonds between a dad and his daughter that like, of course he was the softy. That's what a dad's supposed to be when you have daughters. So now that I'm older and I'm also in the same like industry as them, they're like my mentors. So I always go to them for any type of advice of anything going on with work, which I'm so lucky to have. But I would say it shifted with that since I'm like, now I'm an adult paying bills, like all those things. My dad's a little bit more harder on me than my mom is. And it's just interesting how that shifted because it used to be opposite. If my grades weren't that great, my mom would be the one that was getting mad at me. My dad, not so much. So it's just interesting how it changed. So I'm listening to you and I know a lot of 28 year olds and I'm thinking, you know what? You got this like solid head on your shoulders, right? Not a lot of these 28 year olds do. Working gal and lost two years of your life, which I think we always have to remember because it was a lot of this generation. And I'm not sure if they're actually zillennials or if they're Gen Z. I don't know what year they fall in, but I have a lot of friends who have kids those ages and some really never rebounded afterwards. They never, you know, there was like a failure to thrive because their life stopped before it had to thrive. And I sit here and I'm like, oh, so maybe, Rach, we're like doing this wrong and we have to be best friends with our kids or something because I want my kids to turn out just like that, right? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really, it, and I say that in the in the most amazing way and I have two great kids and they're going to turn out amazing, God willing, right? Well. But do you think though that that was something instilled in you from your parents or do you think that that was something socially, like the people that you surrounded yourself with? Do you think that it came from within? And I'm curious because I haven't Googled this because I don't like to do that. That's usually Rachel's job. Where did social media and the phone start in your life? Like at what age so that I can kind of get a trajectory of what really influenced okay. you in life? <laughs> yeah, no, the whole phone social media thing goes pretty far back for me, honestly, which is interesting for me being 28. I got my first cell phone when I was in seventh sixth grade. I was in sixth grade. And my mom gave it to me because I was going on like a field trip or, or a weekend trip with my Girl Scout troop. 
Mm-hmm. And this was my first time like fully away from my mom. So she got me a cell phone. It was just to like call back and forth. Within five minutes, I figured out how texting worked and started texting people. Started getting into that. The phone was also supposed to be shared between my sister and I, and that did not <laughs> last at all. <laughs> so that was my first phone. Then at that time, it was really just AIM Instant Messenger. That's how we all communicated for years. I don't even remember when that started. I was pretty young. Like I remember having that in like third grade. So, you know, we're always communicating with my classmates and whatnot. But social media, like something bigger than that was when I left private school and seventh grade, I went to public school. And I'm meeting all these kids. And I was very sheltered for a majority of my life going to private school. I went to a Jewish private school too. So it's not even just your regular private school. I was with the same kids from pre-K till I was in sixth grade, seventh grade, I left. And I was just like begging my parents, like, I need to be properly socialized, get me out of this place. And they let me eventually and immediately got socialized. I but here's the thing. Then- Wait, I'm hold on. I'm interrupting again. Because the fact that at that young of an age, you knew hey, I need to be properly socialized. Like if that's all you knew and the whole boom of technology was sort of just coming into your peripheral, how did you even know that there's more to the world than what you know? I mean, we say all the time here, like we know what we know, but how did you know what you didn't know? I went to summer camp, Ah. tons of friends there that all went to public school and so I knew from that, I also was was kind of friends with some girls from my town because I played softball. So I already knew some girls and I also did Girl Scouts in my town as well. So I knew the people and I just felt like there was just so much more than what I was used to at my school. So I wanted to get out. I mean, I watched so much TV. I was like, I want to go to a normal school. Like, get me out of here. So I left and my parents sent me there. And you met my best friend, Alicia. Shout out. She's probably listening to this. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Alicia. Isn't Alicia supposed to come? Aren't I supposed to be making her like a brisket or something? (laughs) Die for that. Yes. So she was actually the first person I met when I went to public school. And we became friends instantly. And I feel like she had like a big role in getting me kind of like acclimated in a way without saying it. Alicia was like, so cool. I wanted to be her friend. And she came up to me and asked me if I had a MySpace. And I was like, no, what? but like, should I get one? Like, I didn't know what the heck was going on. So I go home and I'm like, mama making a MySpace. And she's like, no, you're not. She wouldn't let me do Your it. Mom, hold on a second. Your mom at that time even knew what MySpace was because I guarantee I you, so. my mom would not have known what MySpace was. I think she did because she wouldn't let me get one. Can you tell our For- listeners what MySpace is, just in case they don't know? So it was just like a profile that you had, you know, with your photo. You can pick music to put on it. You can pick your top eight friends to be on your profile list, and that was a huge drama thing back in the day. It was like kind of. Interesting too for MySpace for anyone that understands what it even was. You can kind of code on your profile and make it look a certain way. So I'm like in seventh grade coding on my MySpace account. I don't even know how I knew what that was, but I was like researching and coding to make it look all pretty. And that was kind of why we loved it. At least us girls love doing that because we can make it look the way we wanted to make it look. And I'm sitting here, Rachel, and to our listeners, I'm like, isn't that what a slam book was all about? (laughs) <laughs> Do you remember those? I mean, not even really, you but I have- just, I, I mean, you lost me at code. Okay. <laughs> Cause when I was in seventh grade, we had home ec and I made like a pig 
pillow and I had wood class, like industrial arts, yeah, industrial shop class, whatever, and drawing. That was the electives as creative as we got back then. So you talk coding and technology and you've completely, Rachel Silver Cohen has left the building. I have no (laughs) idea. So it, it really just sort of like lends itself to to the differences from how you grew up and your exposure right out of the gate, out of the private school bubble into the public domain, if you will, and and the entrance into like the quote unquote real scary yellow brick road of the land of the rest of the world. Yeah, no, social media, that was like just beginning then. My mom wouldn't let me have the MySpace, but my older cousin had a Facebook and she was like, you can get one of those. I was like, mom, no one has Facebook. I don't want Facebook, but she let me get one. So I just did it anyways. And I'm almost positive. I went behind her back and I got a MySpace anyways. Everybody had one. So I had to as well. And that was pretty much what started it all. I mean, Instagram came way later. It was Facebook for all of high school. I think when I was like a sophomore, junior in high school, but it wasn't big yet. So we're obviously case in point, just the fact that I'm talking about a slam book and Rachel Silver Cohen has left the building on technology. Clearly, even in the difference in our generation here, there's a lot of differences. And, and I'm always trying to make things relevant for today's world. So help me understand there are so many issues going on in the world right now. What does your generation feel about the pronoun thing going on. Well, everyone feels differently about it. I think that's the big issue, I guess, in today's day is everyone's pretty divided. I think Gen Z definitely had a big, they took a big part into bringing all those pronoun things in here. I don't like anything negative towards it, but I also like to each their own, whatever you want to do, you do um, fine, but let's just not make it confusing. That's all I care about. Let's just not make things difficult and confusing and ridiculous. Marley, how much of an impact do you feel you, okay, we can forget about you being the the voice box for the zillennials out there. How much of an influence do you think social media and technology has played in your life relative to your day in and day out? I actually just talked about this the other day and it's like... Overall, I almost think about my childhood so much and I glorify it so much because it was so simple mm-hmm. and nothing in today's day is simple anymore, strictly because of social media and the impact that it has on society these days. As much as I do love social media, I'm obviously addicted to it. I've had it for so long. I don't have like a negative relationship with social media, but I think that there's just no way that feeding our minds with all of this information all day long from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed is good for you. I think we've all kind of figured that out over the, like, especially COVID. So, you know, I do almost wish we could get back at some point to like a more simpler time, but I just don't even think that that's possible anymore. And do you think that it has affected some of the decisions that you make or the values that you hold and your day-to-day decisions about those values? Yeah, I feel like sometimes you almost are a little afraid to be authentic um, and come out as like your true self, your true personality. I think once, I mean, you guys might have like a little heart attack here when I say this, but once TikTok came into the mix, it kind of shook everything up and changed everything. And now people are out there showing their true authentic selves, being genuine, showing their personalities, which is great. 
But then again, we all kind of get obsessed with it and like watching people and just regular everyday people too, not even famous people. And then you get hooked again. And it just, it definitely affects things. I mean, I, a lot of my business comes from social media. Mm -hmm. So like I can't get off of social media, even if I wanted to, because it holds such a big precedent with my business. I get a lot of leads through social media. So that, that keeps me in it. And sometimes it's probably not a great thing. You rely on social media for an income. So two questions with that, which two in my world will probably turn into 12, but business aside, okay, if you weren't reliant on social media to run your business, you seem like someone who really does have a good head on your shoulders. But if given the choice to completely bow out of social media altogether and go back to those childlike days, even though the rest of the world would still be amped up on this tunnel of technology, A, do you think you could do it? B, if you could, would you want to? And C, how long do you think you would last before you would literally start twitching to go back? I think I could do it for a week or two. And I don't have any issue with doing that. I think a cleanse for a week or two is great. But any longer than that, I 100% will have an itch to want to get back on there. I like to be in the know. Like, I like to know what's going on. I don't really care as much about going on social media to like find out what's going on in like the news or anything. I just like to know what's going on in like pop culture or like the fashion industry. I don't know, random little things like that. I like to go on social media for entertainment for the most part too. My recipes, I love to cook. I love to go on there to find new recipes. Honestly, without that, I'd probably start to go a little crazy throughout my week, just like find a recipe to make dinner for. So my follow-up to that though, now, if we bring back in business, in your words, you had said, you know, you're reliant on social media to drive business your way. Do you feel the pressure, again, even though you have a pretty, what seemingly seems to be a clear head on your shoulders and you know yourself at the young age of 28, but do you feel pressure even if you don't want to be involved with the societal pressures of having to keep up in order to produce for a lack of a better word? I think it, it depends. Like at times I definitely feel more pressure than other times. I think it used to be a lot worse for me. And as time's gone on, I've gotten older. I don't really care anymore. I put out there what I want to put out, what feels good for me. I don't really care if like everyone's doing something and I don't do it. If I want to join in because it's fun for me or I enjoy it, then then I'll do it. That's why I said I don't really think I have like a crazy bad relationship with social media because it doesn't really bother me. I don't feel insecure when I look at things on social media or anything like that. I used to though. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. And you got to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And I have over time. I just put out there what makes me feel good. How do you think you figured that out? Because I think that's the secret sauce for your generation. And how old do you think you were too? I don't even know. It just slowly happened. But I don't think I figured it out until maybe I was like 26, 27. I just started to post things that just felt good for me. I really love to post things that have a nice aesthetic, some funny things here and there, business stuff. Like when I first started posting stuff for my business, I had such bad anxiety. I was 22. I didn't, no one else was doing that at the time. There weren't really many real estate agents in my area that were my age posting this kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm on social media posting things about selling a house at 22 years old with 
everyone's like, what, what's going on? Like everyone has their corporate jobs and whatnot. So it was a little unfamiliar and cringy at the time. But I just got to a point where I was like, no, I got to keep doing it. Got to keep doing it. And it eventually turned into like, I was selling houses from, from social media. So I was like, I don't care anymore what I'm putting out there, how cringe it is. It doesn't matter to me because I'm making money off of it. I mean, you guys can be saying it's cringy, but I'm laughing because I'm making this money. So that stopped bothering me after a while. And I think just over time, I've just been able to be a little bit more in control of what I decide to put out there and what I don't. Because when I first started, I wanted to just get as much out there at at the start. So I was posting a lot. Now it doesn't have to be consistent. It doesn't have to be every single day. As long as I'm still just on there, I'm active and I'm putting things out. That's all that matters for me. So it really sounds like some of it was just the confidence of having the return on that which you've already put out. So then you become a little bit more self assured and therefore what people's comments don't necessarily matter because the proof is in the pudding and you're getting the sales and and what have you. So I hear, and I think this is true for almost everybody, is as we get into the working world and as we start to shed our insecurities of imposter syndrome and not feeling like we can keep up with the Joneses or we can do the same things and our friends are leaping ahead of us or whatever the case may be, as we start to create some type of identity and feel as though we're having some successes, some of that false self kind of gets shed and we start to feel more secure and not so dependent on the social media to kind of guide us with, you know, who we are and what we're all about. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say career success has just made me more confident in general. So and what, and what just, about, and I, you can always say, you know, Dr. Boca, mind your own business, but like, what about dating in this? You know, because we also talk about does dating is it harder? Is it easier? Does social media and dating apps make it better, worse? And has social media affected like face-to-face interaction? But more importantly, a lot of people feel they're more authentic and they're more confident when they have business success, they have relationship success, they have socioeconomic success and things like that. So I'm just curious what your take on that is. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Once you have success in life, you're just going to feel more confident in general. But as far as dating goes, I think everyone will say something different. Like, I don't think that personally for me, social media has like seriously affected dating for me. I think if anything, it helps. Like if I meet somebody and like out, let's say I met someone out and I want to really know who they are, I'm going to check their social media. I want to know what they're all about. Um, my recent boyfriend, I met him like almost three years ago and we met out like with friends or whatever. And I was like, so who is this guy? Checked his whole social media. I looked at his tagged photos. I want to know what he's all about. And that helps when you just meet someone out in the wild and you don't really get to like know who they are, at least on social media. Like sometimes it could raise some red flags and other times it doesn't. I personally don't care if a guy has social media or doesn't. I think I almost prefer if they don't. But I mean, it's still a good, a good indicator to be able to see what like their life is like and who they are, what they like to do, stuff like that. I see so many pros and cons to so many topics. And I guess maybe that's what makes for horse racing because 
everyone's got an opinion and everyone sees it from a different vantage point. You know, you said something before about in the beginning, quote unquote, when you started to promote yourself through the technology channels for business, you had anxiety. And to me, the buzzword of anxiety is something that in today's world is as prevalent as, hey, you know, pass the salt, right? Which the irony of that is that like, we're not even supposed to have salt anymore, but you you got the point, right? And I wonder too, growing up in a world where anxiety and, and these mental health buzzwords, right? That A, probably, you know, will always keep Dr. Boga in business now, but sadly, that's the nature of the beast. When I was growing up, like I probably didn't even know how to spell anxiety, let alone know <laughs> what anxiety was. And now not only is it so prevalent, but the kids these days, and I'm going to air to Dr. Boca on if your age group falls into this category of a kid anymore, but you're almost like desensitized from all of the fallout of having mental illness and the anxiety and the OCD and real depression and et cetera, et cetera. I can go down the list. And I wonder when you were aware that was part of the mix in today's world versus from my generation, I guess, or your parents' generation, or even when you were a little kid and what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I was not aware that I had anxiety for up until I was in college, I don't think. I always had it though. Now that I look back, I'm very aware now. I can think of all the instances that I've I've had it in my childhood. So it's always been there what that was at a younger age. Once I got to college, that was when I started actually having like anxiety attacks, panic attacks. And it was just becoming like constant. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just anxious because of a situation here and there. It started to become like my day-to-day life I just had anxiety. I went to therapy here and there in college, but it didn't stick until I graduated. Once I graduated, I've been in therapy with the same therapist for the past five years, I think it's been. So she helped me manage it big time. I don't like to like take anything for it. I kind of, I call it raw dogging life because I just (laughs) don't take anything for my anxiety. I just try my best to manage it. I'm not always the best at it, especially with work. It I get super overwhelmed, but but it's all a work in progress. Do you think that the, it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Do you think life made you anxious or you innately were an anxious kid from, again, back from childhood or how you were raised? And then that, it, it just upped the ante. It's like, is society making us all anxious or were we anxious always? And now society is just completely just giving it to us between the eyes. It's kind of a mix of both. I think that as a young child where I wasn't aware of what it was, there might have been actual things with just me personally and who I am that made me, things just made me anxious. I was always so afraid to like be away from home, which is so interesting, especially now that I'm back here. (laughs) This is like an actual therapy session. (laughs) So I Welcome to Unpolished. Wait, hold on. I just want to say this is probably an excellent time to protect Dr. Boca's license and remind our listeners this is not real therapy, although it really does sound like it. We want to protect her license. Of course, this is for entertainment value only. And if you do have any issues relative to your mental well-being, please either seek Dr. Boca out privately, which will link her information in our show notes or contact your healthcare provider. 
Thank you. Okay, go ahead, Marley. So yeah, as a young child, there were definitely things like being afraid to leave my mom. I remember my sister going to sleepaway camp. I never could do it. I just didn't want to. I knew I couldn't do it. Every time I'd go away on like little trips, I'd just get like serious anxiety. But as a kid, I didn't know what that was. I got to college and like every single girl I'm around has anxiety. The energy just Mm kind of makes you feel it because you're feeling everybody else's energy being so anxious. So then one, you figure out what the word is for it. And then two, everyone's doing it. Everyone's feeling it. So then it's almost like contagious. So that I think is really like where it got solidified for me with like, you know, college relationships, friendships, all that stuff is always changing and kind of chaotic at that point when you're in college. So I think that I was away from home, which is one thing that always created anxiety for me. And everyone else is feeling anxious and talking about it all the time mm-hmm. and almost just making it like it's no big deal. Like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling anxious. It's it's no big deal. Or I don't want to go out tonight. I'm feeling anxious. So, you know, you just kind of develop the same things that everyone else is and you're catching it. So it, it's interesting that you say all that because, Rachel, I feel like in our generation, it was like the sorority eating disorder right? That was the contagious thing. Like when you lived in a sorority, everybody was kind of eating a certain way, you know, throwing up at the table or whatever the case was. And like maybe one person legitimately came to college with an eating disorder. And by the time people got through living in the house, maybe 13 of the house had an eating disorder. So I That feel was like, around when I was in college too. Right. That was still we, we paved the way, right? But I'm sure that was not the case when our parents were in college. And then we didn't have the name anxiety when we were in college. Maybe one or two people went to therapy. Maybe one or two people had ADHD and didn't either knew it or didn't know it or we didn't know it. I mean, listen, I turned into a psychologist and yet I didn't even know that there were mental health services at the university counseling center. I didn't even know we had a counseling center at the college, mm-hmm. right? I bet you there is not a kid that goes to college now that doesn't have to go through student health services or the counseling center as part of their orientation. So it's a totally different experience. And to say, is it chicken or egg? Look, there's genetics, there's environment, there's parenting style, which is all, falls under environment. And the truth is you are a 9-11 generation kid. So I am sure that that was probably one of the times that collectively, especially living in New Jersey, your parents probably were in a place where the vulnerability was there. You're experiencing it not necessarily, quote unquote, firsthand, where it impacted your every single day, but people were talking about it. People were acting weird. The TVs were on. You start picking up, like it is, when you say contagious, you pick up on that freneticism. You you pick up on fears. You pick up on insecurities. You know, I'm a believer. We pick it up on in, in utero. So if we have an anxious mom to begin with, or when the when the baby comes out and the parents don't know what to do with it, we can develop anxiety that way. So it develops for all different reasons. But I think collectively as a community, we do see a lot more anxiety in your generation because you were like the 9-11, too young to have a real understanding of what was going on, but you picked it up with everything that was going on around you. You're probably right about that, Dr. Brooke. I didn't think of it from like that perspective, but yeah, because that was, I think, a turning point of the world as we knew it kind of pre and post, right? The world changed dramatically. Totally. And then it was 
all day, every day news, which we never had before. I mean, I remember that like the ticker tape would be going on the bottom and scrolling. And then news went from being like twice a day to like all day, every day. And this was all you were seeing. And this wasn't the only thing. I mean, there were, we had the Iraq war and it was like, oh my God, was that was the first war that our generation knew of, right? All of these things collectively, the stresses that were added, the expectations of having Blackberries. And I mean, we're really going back right now, right? The sidekicks, the Blackberries, the AOL Instant Messenger, all of that also created a freneticism because your parents were now reachable 24 hours a day, whereas our parents weren't reachable 24 hours a day. We could literally not answer the home phone and life as we knew it would still be fine. And you got to come home and not have to deal with the work or what have you. Not your generation. Your generation lived in a house where 24-7 there was access to whomever. So it's just, these are the generational gaps that, you know, change the trajectory of the landscape, I guess. I miss the days that I didn't have a cell phone. I mean, now it's it's impossible to not, but it's yeah. nice to turn it off every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Marley, you were talking before about college, and I wonder if there was any nuggets of wisdom that you would share with those kids who are Dr. Boca and my kids' age and and that half a generation below you now who are embarking on a new chapter of their lives with what you've learned since college and now out into the quote-unquote real world, what either do you want to share with them that you wish you had known or something that you knew that really did hold up and it's withstood the test of time because it was invaluable to you as an incoming freshman, we'll call it, in the college world? Yeah, wow. College, there's definitely things that I regret from college not doing or doing as well. I joined a sorority first thing freshman year and I joined it for the wrong reasons. I joined it because it was like the fun party sorority and like it, it was just going to be a shit show pretty much. And so that's the one I joined and they ended up getting kicked off campus very quickly. So that kind of messed up things for me freshman year. I ended up joining a different sorority, but I don't think it was where I really wanted to be. Um, so I ended up dropping the whole sorority thing towards the end of college for me anyways. But I would say if you're going to Greek life, pick it for the right reasons. Like find a good group of friends, rush with them, see like what they're doing, whatever feels right. I mean, look, that did feel right for me at the time and everything does happen for a reason. So I don't know if I actually fully regret those decisions, but I kind of regret joining it for the whole party aspect of it. I could have joined other sororities and had fun party times too, but you know, just a different situation. The friends you make your freshman year are probably going to end up being your friends for life. I mean, not everybody is like that, but few of my best friends that I'm still friends with till this day, we met the first day of freshman year. And I mean, I'm going to be in one of their weddings. She just got engaged. So, you know, I mean, like things like that are great. The friendships you make, they'll come with you forever. And then this is a big one. I feel like I just wanted to take easy classes to just get things over with and whatever. But I feel like if you really don't know what you want to do when you get older, just kind of explore some options. You don't always just have to take the easy road and the easy classes, but really take something that might open your mind to something different. I feel like I took all these classes. I don't remember a single thing that I learned. I feel like everything I know, I really learned post-college. Mm. So, I mean, maybe just be a little bit more intentional with things when you're in college. 
rather than just caring about your social life. I definitely regret that. And I was the same way in high school too. But again, it happens for a reason. And I'm in a very social business now. And all these connections that I've made have seriously helped my business now. So it's not the worst thing. But I do think I should have been a little bit more intentional and tried to learn a little bit more because I didn't really care that much about learning. It sounds like college then for you, if what you learned in the actual classroom was secondary, what you really got out of it was how to expand your horizon from the social perspective. And, you know, we talk a lot on Unpolished Therapy, not what's better or worse, but book smart versus street smart. And it sounds as though you really got an education, if you will, then with the street smarts. Absolutely. And one other thing I forgot to add is just really live in the moment. I remember complaining about things all the time throughout college. And now my friends and I are like crying sad about like missing those days and like laughing about certain things. And it's like, why couldn't I just enjoy that then? Now I try to be so in the moment with things and put my phone down. I won't post anything until after the fact. Like I just try to be way more in the moment. And at that time, I think we were all complaining about things that it's like, what are we complaining about? We're in college living our best life. Yeah, my boyfriend broke up with me. All right, whatever. He's not going to matter in a couple of years from now anyways. But I thought it was like ruining my life at that time. So I really learned so much in college personally. I don't know if I learned that much actually in class, but I learned <laughs> so much about myself in college. And I think that I like needed that experience for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, as much as we want to say, this is what you, you know, please do this and be more intentional and be in the moment. Youth is wasted on the young. And this is every generation says this, right? I, we all felt the same way. Like I could, I only wish I could go back to college and think my life was as hard as it was back then, or I was as fat as I was back then, right? I think this is just the evolution of life and it's really hard to understand it until you're on the other side. But one thing I do think that you keep saying indirectly, not only about being intentional, but knowing who you are and being true to yourself, even if you don't know who you are, not to follow the crowd, not to do it for the wrong reasons, do what feels good for you. And that usually would guide you in the right way. But we learn to shut that part down and do what the cool thing is or what everybody else is doing or where our friends are going or what our friends want or this boyfriend does. And so I think that there's a message in here is, you know, you're trying to figure out yourself, but you know, oftentimes we have anxiety when we're not being true to ourselves. And so if we can do the things that we, that are authentic, or at least in that moment feel authentic, we oftentimes will feel better. I have one quick question. I don't know if it's a quick answer, but it's at least a quick question is I always like to learn things, right? That's kind of what I go through life from people. I love learning new things. We're different generations. I have a child, you know, children lower. Is there anything that you would want to tell our generation that would help us understand your generation or anything that you think would be helpful for us to know just in general about making the generations work better together? Or do you have any questions about our generation, given the fact that, you know, we're a little younger than your parents, but we're not your parents? So it always has a different take or ring on it when it's actually not a parent saying it. Yeah, there's one thing that stands out to me. I'm mainly thinking about my dad because he is the same generation as you guys. He's younger than my mom and just people around his age in general. I feel like the big difference between both generations is communicating. And there's just a gap with that. And I feel like even with my, within millennial 
generation. I feel like people just need to get a better grip on communicating. But I would say it's bigger when it's the generation above you. So like Gen Z, for example, like they're, they're all in therapy. They're all talking about their problems, their traumas, whatever. I've always been like this, like my whole life. And I feel like my dad, for example, like he doesn't talk about things. Rach, I don't know what it was like with you and like your parents, but like my mom didn't go and talk to her parents about things like the way I do. So I feel like a big gap is to just keep communication really open with your kids and just with no consequences. I feel like when I was younger, I was at times afraid to say certain things to my parents because I just didn't want any consequences associated with it. As I got older, I didn't really care anymore. It was just like, it is what it is. You can't tell me what to do. But I, I like, I feel like a deep need to release my thoughts on a daily basis. And I think that it's so crucial for everybody to be like that. But obviously in a safer space, like with your own parents, I feel like there needs to be streamlined communication on both ends. And that goes for friendships, that goes for relationships, doesn't matter what dynamic it is, there just needs to be better communication between generations. Hey, kids out there, did you hear what cousin Marley just said? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I mean, yeah, we talk a lot too that do as I say, not as I do, or it's easier to give the advice than to take the advice, or I can dole it out, but I can't take it. And I just hope that we can maybe bridge the gap with all these generations because it does seem as though the commonality and the thread that weaves everything together is communication. Look, we're living in a world of of podcasts. Uh, Several years ago, no one even knew what the word podcast was. And now we all have diarrhea of the podcast because (laughs) who doesn't have a podcast? Why? To communicate, to connect, to talk about things. And maybe some could argue there's some oversharing going on, but I do think communication is key. Without it, we have nothing. I'm an oversharer. I don't really care though. Like what's so bad about it in the end? I feel like it's better to get everything out. Let me ask you this. You spoke of parents before. So speaking of parents, a couple episodes ago, we had a guest on who wrote a book with a whole slew of beautiful nuggets of wisdom to share for every generation. And one of the things that Dr. Boca and I really tapped in on was the chapter on legacy and our family dynamic and the background that we come from and the pearls of wisdom that we get from those in our lineage. So I will ask you as a silver, I know on my end of all my silverisms and the pearls of wisdom that I've gotten from my parents and your grandparents, of course, right? Again, do you have any silverisms that you grew up with that have still withheld the test of time that you hope to carry on as you get older and have a family of your own? There's so many and you know all of them, but I mean, for those of you that don't know our family, being on time, actually not on time. You have to be 15 minutes early to be <laughs> necessarily on time in the Silver family. Um, that comes from our Rachel's dad and my grandpa. They're both psychotic. Like, if time. you're not there, it, like if you have to be somewhere at 6 p.m., they're calling you at 5:45, calling saying you're late. So that anxiety something. So I mean, <sighs> it's so interesting now as an adult. Like if I'm running late for something, and that's the other thing been embedded in my life my whole life but I haven't fully adapted to it I'm still gonna be a little late actually and being late means being on time 
Well, I wanted to tell you something and I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm going to because A, I'm a silver and B, because I have no filter. But the cool thing about that, and I didn't think that that was going to be your your main silverism, although it's huge and I have anxiety just thinking about time when it comes to our family. But what's cool, and I'm hoping that the other silvers are listening to this episode right now. Um, my brother, Andrew, he was here recently and we always joke around about the time issue and he adapted most recently. And I was so proud of him. He had the balls to tell my parents, okay, hey, by the way, I'm not living by silver time anymore. Okay. When I'm there, I'm there. And I was, first of all, I was so envious that he actually has kind of re-examined that and he's unsubscribing to the silver time neurosis, And he is, as Dr. Boku would say, doing it differently. And I know that he probably got that from his new world now. Mm-hmm. And the, the way in which his family, he and his wife are doing it their way. And my sister-in-law, of course, is now a silver, but she was able to bring to the table, you know what? We don't have to show up on Tuesday for something that's not happening until Friday. <laughs> and it was so liberating that he really like is limit. Now, granted, he, he does he's not like, oh my God, where are you? He, he, he's not irresponsible. But I think that like the break in the rule on that is so amazing. And I am in awe. I'm so jealous and I really want to try to do that. <laughs> and you guys are asking where anxiety comes from. Like Rachel, I mean, you guys, Marley, you just answered the question. Like, right. When you live under those isms, right? Yep. Of course, you're going to develop some kind of, whether it's anxiety in the sense of your heart racing or a tick or, yes. um, you know, being a people pleaser, whatever the case, however it manifests, there you go. Oh Any yeah, others? no. If I'm running five minutes late, I have a I'm freaking out and I'm like so apologetic to people because <laughs> it's just ingrained in me mm-hmm. to be like that. There's there's some others. Rachel, I'm curious what you were thinking about, but like the whole teasing thing in this family, it just goes above and beyond. We love to tease each other. And but- you know, everybody loves to make fun of each other in like good fun, but you know, at times it could get a little deep. Well, like, I mean, I do think, and I can recall many a time, and obviously we're not going to go into all of them now, but where the silver tease, if you will, got carried away and turned into, you know, the tease turned into tears, right? Yeah. For many oh, of yeah. us. <laughs> okay. And this, oh, yeah. and not only just the females, certainly the, the silver boys also, I mean, tears were had by all, but I think, and, and I hope you agree with me that like, I think that is kind of where the unpolishedness comes into play. And I, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times that that the sense of humor of the Silvers is something that I'm so proud of and I love to be a part of. And when I find myself getting too serious, I don't like that part of myself. The unpolishedness and the humor and even the self-deprecation, which I know stems from being a kid and your grandfather and my dad just beating the living shit out of us with the jokes and the teasing and all that. That is what has made us who we are. So I'm okay with that, but I love that you bring up the tease because I want that to carry through. Yeah. I feel like my sense of humor is 100% a silver sense of humor. Like when we get, we all get together, like my dad, my, my grandpa, my my grandma, my aunt, especially, oh my God, we're all just cracking up. My sister's the same way. And I will say it's actually very different from my mom's side of the family. They have more of like a dry 
sense of humor and us we're kind of all just making fun of each other and good fun and it's hilarious actually we all have same sense of humor and I love that I cherish that for sure here, here. Me too. Well, all I have to say is like, there's a part of me and I don't know what our listeners are, are thinking, but I'm like, I want silver. Like I'll take the neuroses <laughs> with the fun. Like I'm, I'm all in. I am all in now that I've met. You're more than welcome. Well, thank you. Now that I've met a whole, now I, I've seen a diverse sampling of the silver family. I've seen three generations now. Like I'm a little envious of it. Like I'm in. Sign me up to be a silver. Listen, the interview process might be a little rigorous, but once you're in, right, Marley? Like once you're a silver, you're a silver forever. And it's not not a bad place to be. We're crazy. No question. We are unpolished, but I wouldn't want it any other way. Of the dynamic and, you know, we're a unit. There's a lot of us. There's a lot of silvers. I love it. (laughs) And I was just going to say, Marley, I mean, I'm not having known you. Obviously, Rachel has an advantage over me. But I just have to tell you, I am so impressed by your poise, your confidence, your vulnerability, your ability to have evolved and speak about the evolution um, and really your ambition and your your courage to even come onto a podcast. I don't know at 28 if I would be coming onto a podcast, even if it was my cousins, right? I just don't know if I would have had the the balls to do it. So as a businesswoman and as a daughter, as a friend to your other friends, as a sister, I mean, you really are a great representation of what our generation hopes that our kids will evolve into. And I thank you for being that person and sharing it with us. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm glad that I was able to come on here and, and spill. I Like I said, I love to talk. So I'm an open book. And I really appreciate you guys giving me the platform to talk about things on. Marley, if our listeners want to find you, uh, because we didn't even get into the fashion and the stylist stuff that you do as your side hustle, which I love because all of us silvers, we certainly know how to hustle. So I love that you have the side hustle. How do they find you? Please share. You can find me on Instagram at Marley Silver Real Estate. And, you know, everything's on there. You'll see it all. Okay. Cool. And we'll we'll notate that too in the show notes. I love saying that. I feel like Dr. Bobby, that makes us so professional. Like we're gonna link that in the show notes. It makes me feel like I'm a zillennial. Well, that like well, I would even know what that means. Okay, and I'm <laughs> clearly not because I don't know that we have show notes. So we there do. you go. I write them every week. We do. That I know we do. I didn't I know, know until recently that they call it show notes. Huh. But listen, you know. Better late than never. We're learning. We're learning. We Marley, last couple things I want to ask you as we round out, because I know time, right, is incredibly valuable. Um, couple quick things. Number one, I want to know, yes or no, do you know what call waiting is? No. <gasps> oh my God. Save the gas for, for later. Okay. Number two, do you know what an emergency breakthrough is? No. Wait, what? Okay. And it, it's, it's, Dr. Bogo, you don't know what an emergency breakthrough is? Oh, like on the phone? Like referring to what? I know what that is. I didn't know we were talking about it. And not, and I don't, and and having nothing to do with your period or menstruation, Marley. So you do, so the answer is no, you do not know what an emergency breakthrough is? No. Okay. Number three. Oh my God. True or false. Back in the day, there, there were cell phones attached to a car. True? I didn't live through that, but I, I, I've heard about it. (laughs) Oh, you've heard about it. No, yeah, you've heard about that. Okay. And final, well, actually, second to final, do you know what the word Betamax means? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> I love you. This is awesome. I love you so much. Dr. Rogan, do you love this? I can do a rapid fire with you too about TikTok. I, great, that. Silver. Bring it on. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Go. Oh my God. I have to think about it. Um, do you know what an FYP is? Not even remotely. <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> um, uh, oh, for your pleasure. That? For your pleasure? Oh, shit. No. Okay. No, I feel like I'd have to like really think about this if I was going to do a rapid fire. But that I'm was a good sure one. the answer is no to all of them. It just shows the difference in the generational gap. But I really do think that the time we spent together bridged that gap a little bit, and it made some sense out of complete nonsense and senselessness that so many of us are unaware of. Dr. Boca started something a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to finish it with this and follow her lead on it. I just want to know as we round out, Marley, what does it mean to be unpolished? Are you unpolished? And how do you define your unpolishedness if you are unpolished? I'm definitely unpolished. I am your cousin. <laughs> so I mean, we, I think we kind of hit the nail on the head with all of that, like just being a silver, we are unpolished. You know, we're a little rough around the edges, but we we have good intentions. We have a good heart. We say what's on our mind and we're not afraid to be who we are. I love that. That's exactly what my bio says on silver and polish. I don't know if you know that. I'm a little rough around the edges. Yeah. But you know, when we're, you get we're down very to the similar. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm so happy you came on. I'm so happy you got a chance to hear Dr. Boca's wisdom. And we always say, you know, a friend to the show once forever, your family for real. And you are always welcome here. I hope the listeners, you got some value out of today's conversation. Share it with those in your world to help bridge the gap with communication amongst your loved ones because communication is key. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you know how to reach Dr. Boca and myself on polishedtherapy at gmail.com. You can always find us on Instagram and Facebook at unpolishedtherapy. What am I missing, Dr. Boca? Anything else? Help me. No, because we're not on Twitter and we're certainly not on TikTok. And MySpace. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking MySpace. I'm like, do we even, I don't even know what that is. That probably doesn't, that was retired can, long ago, right? I don't think you can <laughs> find anymore. it. No, but you can reach out on Instant Messenger that we don't have. That would be amazing too. There you go. There you go. The DMs. You're the best. I miss you already, everyone. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on the corner of Audacity and Advice this week. My wheels definitely got spun upside down because I didn't even know Zillennial was a word. So thanks for that one. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you guys for hours. So if you want to do this again, let me know. Yeah, we're going to have you back for your personal shopping and styling. Oh, okay. Yeah. Styling, I guess, more than shopping, but all of the above. I think that would be awesome because I might have to be a client of yours at some point. I'd love to help. All right, guys, have a wonderful week. We will see you next week where our wheels and yours get spun upside down. This has been Dr. Boca and Rachel Silver Cohen for Unpolished Therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage. 